2004 was the worst year of my life. That resonate with anybody? I mean, is there anybody here that you can point back to a particular year where it seemed like the wheels fell off and you could say that was the worst year of my life? Maybe you went through the loss of a loved one or perhaps breakup of a relationship. Or maybe it just could be career-oriented where it just felt like everything went bad. Or if it was like my 2004, if it was like my year, it was like several storms morphed into one. And you're thinking, why, if I'm going to go through tough times, why is why are all these things conspiring against me for this moment? But I've had my challenges through the years, but I have to tell you, without a doubt, there's one year that I don't think I would even consider living over. I mean, if you had a checkbook and it were feasible, if you could say to me, Mark, I'll write you a check for any amount. All you have to do is relive 2004. I would just say, put your book back up because you can't pay me enough to relive 2004. It was a very tough year. Just a little history. Uh, this next June, I'll be here 25 years, which is hard to believe. I keep thinking, where did all the time go? But um, in, in just thinking back over time, uh, this was a very different kind of church in the early days. In fact, actually, five years ago, it was a very different kind of church. Actually, three weeks ago, it was a very different kind of church. <laughs> Our man- mantra at New Spring is, if it's not broke, break it. I can remember in the early 90s, we began to grow, certainly not by New Spring standards, but we, we began to grow. We grew to 400, then we grew to 500 in attendance, and 600. And, and in 91, I didn't say anything about this because I would have just scared everybody to death if anyone had known I was thinking about relocating. By the way, for, for those of you who, who think we've always been on Northeast Wichita, we, we, we haven't been. We used to be in South Wichita. In fact, if you know where Via Christi St. Joseph is, we were about, oh, I guess a half mile south of there on Hillside. And in those days, we had 4.3 acres, and we were constrained, and we couldn't build, and so we were running out of space. But in 1991, I started looking for land out along the K-96 corridor. I can remember the first time I got in my car and just started looking for real estate. In those days, K-96, I think, only went to Rock Road. And that was a period of probably two or three years, four years, that we were looking for land, 1995, we got this land. And if you haven't been at New Spring for very long, you haven't maybe heard me tell the story, but all of you who've been here for a while, you've heard me tell it. And those of you who've been here a long time have heard me tell it lots of times because it was just a phenomenal miracle. I'll tell it again someday. But I can still remember that day in my car driving down the road and talking to the real estate agent and said, I said to the guy, tell, tell the owner we'll pay him $10,000 an acre for 30 acres we wanted him to give us the other 10 because 40 acres was the minimum he would sell. And through a miracle, God did exactly that. We got 40 acres here for 300000 now worth millions. We started construction on this building in 1997, November of that year. And on May 23rd, 1999, we held our first service where you are today. We've, this is our third service this weekend. In those days, just one service, and I think we had around seven, 800 people in those days, who came to be in our services. Our church, as I said, was very different. We were a very, I hate to use this term because it means different things to different people, but it was a traditional church. Well, let me tell you really what goes on in a traditional church. Sometimes I think it's good for ministers to just share the little secrets that nobody talks about. In a traditional church, mostly Christians attend. There aren't too many bridges built to people 
who haven't yet begun to follow Jesus, just, just traditional Christians. And there's a sort of codependent relationship that goes on in that kind of situation. People who are already Christians come and hear what they already know, and the minister confirms what the people believe, and they pat him on the back and tell him what a phenomenal pastor he is. And that's what we had going on, except by this point, we had grown by 2001, 2002. We had grown to about 11 and 1,200 in attendance. And on paper, I guess I had everything that any minister could ever want by the beginning of 2004. That is, as long as he was just thinking about himself. We had a great piece of real estate. We had a beautiful building. By this time, we had a thriving television ministry. And we had people that loved their pastor. I could, have, I could have just rolled on forever telling people what they already knew, and they would have patted me on the back, and I was the fair-haired boy and had been here a long time, and, and people loved me, and, and I'd never really had any controversy or especially anybody that would even suggest that perhaps maybe Mark's time here is through. Nothing like that. In fact, there was always the fear I was going back to Texas. I should, I should have known it was a clue when in 2004, I started the year with a series on prayer. I don't know if any of you, many of you are here in those days. I did a series called The Prayer Paradigm on the Lord's Prayer, which is one of my favorite series in all the years that I've been here because I just dissected the Lord's Prayer and went line by line. And, and I think that was the Lord's way of saying, hey, Mark, you really do need to pray because you are sailing into some turbulent seas. There's just something that rose up inside of me that said, God would not give us all the gifts that he's given us just to sit on them. On any, on any given weekend, 80, 85% of people who live in our city don't attend worship. Doesn't that say something? I mean, and on top of that, it's, isn't it interesting that 85% of American churches are either plateaued or in decline? If there was any other segment of our business in America that was in that kind of straits or situation, it would be a depression. And so I just decided whatever price we had to pay, we were going to find a way to build bridges to people who needed Jesus. I wanted to see us, see, and I just at the end of the last service, someone was telling me they, they came from a church and they said, the church is just being torn apart by political pressure. I wanted to see a church that the only pressure that church would feel was from people who weren't there yet. I mean, I don't... I don't know who gives what at this church. I don't, I don't, I mean, there, there is no pressure internally at New Spring today, but in those days, it was a very different kind of church. And I just decided we would, whatever price it took, we were going to be the kind of church that built bridges to people who needed Jesus. And we weren't going to be about the people inside our walls. We were going to be of what, the people on the inside would be about the people on the outside. Sounds good, doesn't it? Does now, because that's our, that's our DNA. Well, I thought it was good four years, five years ago. I did a little series called Bridge Builders Barrier Erectors, and I didn't know it, but I declared war. Because of the 1,200 people who attended, over the next two and a half years, about 600 would walk away. And many who, who left, they did it on the right terms. They came to me and they said, Mark, we just don't see the church in the same terms, and we feel like ministry should be different. And we hugged and we parted as friends, and that's good. That's exactly how it should be because there's more than one way to do things right. But if you've ever been part of a church that's going through turmoil, you know that some people have to leave ugly, and it has, it has to turn personal. And by the summer, you know, we were starting to update our kids' ministry in those days. Nothing like Kids World today, but we were going that direction, and that unsettled a lot of people. And then what we were doing with worship style, that unsettled a lot of people. And, and just a lot, of, a lot of things became unhappy. And, and if you're the senior leader, you just get to be in the crosshairs. That's just part of the fun of this job. 
In the summer, it was really tough because there were several storms morphing into one. I had other issues that I was dealing with in leadership here. And then, for some reason, it just seemed like Satan just targeted one of my sons, my middle son, Jared. It was like Satan just put the crosshairs on him. And circumstance after circumstance after circumstance just reverberated in a negative way for Jared. And we were just dealing with all of this. My birthday falls during this week, and it was five years ago this week when I think it was August was the worst part. Our executive pastor, Billy Poor, who outside of my, my immediate family is my closest friend, Billy and his wife, Sherry, came to Mary Alice, and they said, we got to get Mark out of town. And so for my birthday... They took Mary Alice and me to Kansas City, and we wound up staying at the Marriott in Overland Park. And they took us to some of our, you know, to some great restaurants. And let me ask you a question: Have you ever tried to have a good time when you just didn't feel like having a good time? I mean, I tried with everything I had, but even while we were at that Marriott, I would get emails and I would get phone calls about other bad things that were happening. This family was unhappy, and this family was leaving the church, and this family was angry, and this family was saying this. And it was just like, oh my God, when is this ever going to stop? And even there at that hotel, I tried tried to have a good time, but it was just such a poignant, painful moment. 2009 has been the un-2004. Because this has been the greatest year of my life. We just had wonderful things happen this year. And this summer, I I had a series I didn't think was going to go anywhere. It's called Thrive. I just thought... Just kind of an ordinary series. And then God just blew the walls off with what he did during Thrive. And then my son, Jared, that I talked about a few moments ago, sometime back, he became engaged, the greatest young lady in the world, and we just adore her. I mean, she's just awesome. And they got married a few weeks ago. Watermark, how about that? Almost 300 people baptized last weekend. Yeah. And even in the summer, 32, 3,300 people showing up on a weekend at New Spring. And I always say to Mary Ellis, like I said, in fact, I just said it last week when we were driving away from Hartman Arena at Watermark, I always say, why couldn't God just let me see some of this five years ago when I was going through the darkest part? Because, I mean, it was such a dark part. I mean, I've never had suicidal thoughts, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, just, just being real with you guys, and I try always to do that. There were nights when I would go to sleep at night and I would pray and say, God, if you just take me to heaven during the night, it's more than fine with me because it was so painful. I used to say, why wouldn't God just let me see some of this good stuff five years ago? And Mary Alice will always say to me, she'll say, well, if God had showed you this, you wouldn't have had to have had any faith. Faith comes hard for me. Anybody else like me? I just like some verification, you know? Reagan said, trust but verify. I mean, that's just what I want right there. Trust but verify. 
Well, anyway, we were getting ready for Jared's wedding and, and, and all the things that went along with that. And plus, I was, you know, getting ready for a new series. And I told Marianne, I said, here's the deal. As soon as Jared's wedding is over, he got married on a Friday night. I started come clean on Sunday morning. I said, as soon as that's over, we're going to get in the car. We're going to go to Kansas City. And we're just going to, just you and me for a couple of days. And we're going to just R&R. And we're going to have a good time. And, and I don't do that enough. And, and so, but we were planning for that. And I, I got on the internet. And like some of you guys do, I got on Priceline. And I just keyed in a really low amount for a hotel room. And to my amazement, it, it was accepted. For those of you who don't do Priceline, you don't get to see where you're going to stay. You just key in a particular classification. You bid a certain amount of money. They either accept or they reject it. And then you find out where you're going to be staying, you know? And you just don't know. I mean, you could be staying at Sheridan. You'd be staying at Bates Motel. You just don't know where you're going to be. <laughs> Guess where we wound up? The Marriott and Overland Park. I haven't been there in five years. And it was such a good time. Marianne and I had a great time. We went to our favorite restaurants in Kansas City. We did a little shopping. But most of all, here's the thing. Most of all, what we did, and this may not sound like a lot of fun to some of you, especially if you're young, but Marianne and I are old. Uh, what, what, what we did was a lot. We just drove around and, and thanked God for our blessings. And we would just drive in the car and we'd start talking about what God was doing at New Spring, what God was doing in this ministry, what he was doing in our worship ministry. By the way, didn't you enjoy the Clayhouse Band, the high school band? Woo! Ryan, you guys were rocking today. I just sat back there and said, wow, we're set for generations, aren't we? (laughs) Wow. And we started talking about all those things and thanking God and thanking God for our daughter-in-law, Jessica, and what God was doing in her and Jared's lives. Finally came, the time came for us to leave the hotel, come back to Wichita. And I went downstairs to to get one of those luggage caddies to, to, to bring her luggage to the car. I don't pay attention to details. I'm a poster child for ADHD. Now, if I'm traveling by myself, I have to pay attention. But if Marilyn's is with me, I don't pay attention to anything. My mind's just always moving. So on the way down to get the luggage car, I just started thinking about this whole experience about the pain of 2004 and then just the awesome nature of 2009 and what God had done. And, and I started thinking about a verse out of the Bible that I love very much. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I think Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And nestled among those marvelous mountain peak of verses is this just one little line out of Romans chapter 8. It's verse 28 says, And we know in all things God works for good for those who love him. And we know in all things God works for good for those who love him. And I thought, wow, that's really true. All those things that happened in 2004, they didn't stop God from working. It was almost while I was riding the elevator down, it was almost like the Holy Spirit said, great, Mark, now you're ready to leave kindergarten. Let me take you to elementary school. (laughs) It was as if, and God wasn't on the elevator with me visibly, and he didn't say anything to me audibly, but it was as if God just leaned over and whispered to me and said, Mark, did you notice, listen, please. Did you notice that every one of those bad things had to happen before you could have 2009? Wow. In all things, we know in all things, God works for good for those who love him. I was thinking, this is great. I am living Romans 8, 28. I had the cart with me, luggage cart. I'm bringing it. I don't pay attention to anything. I came up to the door, and guess which room we were in? 
We were in room 828. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit say, duh? <laughs> if you love God, you are living in room 828. Let's talk about that. Take a look at the verse. In the middle of Romans 8.28, there's a word that just says things. For some of you who love football, do you remember the old commercial? I can't remember the guy who played for the Buffalo Bills. And, and, and I think the, the theme of the verse was bad things. Wow. There are things that are going to happen to you that are bad. And that's what things means in that verse. It doesn't mean objects. It means bad things that happen. For instance, I mean, obviously, we don't need God to tell us that in good things God works. We believe that. We all believe that. If your life is going great right now and you're a God follower and somebody asks you how you're doing, because you're going to say, God is blessing, man. I got a new job. I got a new car. We just closed on a house. My kids are doing great in school. God is blessing. God is at work in my life. Good things are happening. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. What we need the Bible to to tell us is that even in bad things, God is still at work. Every once in a while I hear ministers preach, and it's as if they're saying, if you follow Jesus, you will never have any bad things happen. And I think, number one, it's either a liar or somebody who hasn't lived very long, because my experience has been in 32 years of pastoring pastoring, that everybody has bad things happen. Whether you're an out-and-out atheist or you're a total God follower, bad things are going to happen. You and I are going to experience things things consistent with the broken world. We learn in the book of Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning of the Bible that man screwed up, he disobeyed God, and he brought all kinds of bad into the world. Add to that the fact that there's six billion people living in the planet who all have free wills, and you're going to have some bad things happen in your world. I hear something that Christians say from time to time, and I sort of understand where they're coming from theologically, but I think it's really off base a little bit. I hear people say, that nothing can happen to you that God did not give his permission to. Now, I know technically God is sovereign in the world, but let me just explain something to you. It was never God's will for anybody to sin. It was never God's will for anyone to rape. It was never God's will for anyone to steal. It was never God's will for anyone to lie. So point being, there are going to be some bad things that happen to you in a world with six billion people that have free will that were never God's idea. Just some things, some bad things. But let's go back to the verse again. My favorite four words out of Romans 8, 28 are these. Look at this. In things... God works. It means that God isn't behind the things. I mean, some of you have gone through bad things. You've gone through the breakup of a family. It wasn't God's will. But here's the thing. When you go through a bad thing, it doesn't stop God. In fact, in things, God gets out his toolbox. That's where God goes to work. You say, but Mark, all the wheels are falling off in my life. Well, you know, I know it's not good to go through the pain of all that stuff, but at the same time, don't forget that in things, God works. You know, if I was a devil, you know what would just eat me up? I mean, aside from the fact that I'm going to hell forever, but I'm just saying, if I was a devil, you know what would just, just grind on me? As soon as he hatches some scheme to bring pain into our lives, God will turn around and use that same road that the devil tries to travel to bring us harm, and God will turn around and use it for a super highway to bring blessing into our lives. 
<laughs> this is a very old story. You can tell once you start hearing the elements of it. I remember as a kid preacher reading about something that happened in the 19th century. Women in antebellum days wore very different kinds of dress than we can imagine today. And there were pieces of, of article of clothing or whatever that they valued a lot more than women would value today. And one of those was handkerchiefs. Oftentimes wealthy, well-to-do women would carry very expensive handkerchiefs that were basically pieces of artwork. There was a wealthy young woman who had such a handkerchief. It was silk and lace imported, and she loved it. It was her personal favorite and very expensive. But one day when she was writing a letter or doing some artwork or something, she accidentally spilled a drop of black India ink, indelible ink, on that expensive handkerchief. There was a well-known artist who lived down the street from her, and she went down to visit him and was crying and was telling him about what she had done, how that she had spilled ink on this beloved handkerchief. He said, leave it with me. She said, well, it's just worthless now anyway, so she left it with the artist. A week later, he called for her to come back to his house, and when she came back to his house, she discovered that he had taken that drop of India ink And with his skill, he had begun a design, a masterful design that incorporated that India ink so that the handkerchief was now worth many times what it was originally. Isn't that what God does? In things, God works. It's a divorce. It wasn't God's plan. It's a thing, though. But in things, God works. It's an economic downturn. They say it's the worst economy since the Great Depression, and many have lost jobs. I I don't understand. That's bad. I know it's bad. I'm not going to try to paint a happy face and blow sunshine at you. I just know it's bad. It's a bad thing. But in things, God works. You say, Mark, I just got a diagnosis, and it's a bad thing. But in things, God works. Look at the verse again. In all things. God works. I, got, I, I put this this way because I knew that some of you were going to listen to that point and you were going to say, yeah, Mark, that's great. You're a minister. You're a preacher. You're, you know, God's chosen boy and surely stuff works for you, but you don't know what's going on in my life. I just want you to see the word all there. There is nothing that can happen to you. And beyond that, there is nothing that you can do wrong that will cause God to say, I'm out of here. I have friends, I have friends who, who do repair work and, and remodeling and, and, and various kinds of things. And, and every once in a while, I have one of those friends tell me, hey, Mark, you know, I just got called to a job, and I took a look at what was there, and I just said, that's it. I'm taking up my toolbox, and I'm leaving. I can't do anything. This is just too bad. Do you realize there isn't anything can happen in your life where God will close up his toolbox and say, that's it. I'm out. You say, but it's my fault, Mark. Hey, did you see in all things God works? For good? And if you do something that's wrong, you'll suffer the negative consequences from that. But just remember this, that even when we do wrong and we create a scenario that is not life as it should be, it will not cause God to put up his toolbox. He will still keep working. In all things, God works. Look at the verse again. This verse is prefaced with two of my favorite words in the Bible, and those are the words we know. This is not something we're speculating about. It's not something we're hoping for. It's not something that occasionally happens. We're talking about something that happens all the time. We know. You say, Mark, I'm in a situation. And, and let, me, let me just stop for a moment and say this, because there are situations that are so bad. Every once in a while in my life, I will say, I don't see how anything good can come out of this. You ever, ever prayed that prayer to God? I mean, have you ever said, and I hate to admit this, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but there have been times when I've had a circumstance that was so bad, I would say to God in kind of anger, I would say, I don't see how anything good can come out of this. 
And yet the Bible says we know in all things God works. Man, the Holy Spirit just left out a word I wish he had put in there. I wish the word how had been put in there. We know how God works. Now that I would have liked. Every once in a while, I run into Christians. You know, have you ever like run into one of, the, one of these God Squad ultra-religious people that seem to like know inside knowledge that God has revealed to them? And something can be going on in your life, and they'll say, well, listen, this is what God is trying to say to you. And, and I will say, you know what God is saying to me? He's saying you should shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> Fact is, oftentimes, we won't know how God works until we get some time. And, get, and there are going to be situations in life that we won't know how God works until we get to heaven. But you know what? We know he works. And it's as if God is saying, that's enough for you. I mean, I, I wish I'd had more faith in 2004. I wish those nights when I was so depressed and I was laying my head on my pillow and I was saying, God, if you want to kill me, that's great. I love it. I'm all over it. Just please, whatever you want to do with me. I wish in those days I'd have just said, I know God is doing something great. I know that God has spoken to my heart about what a great church could be. I know I'm following God and it's bad right now, but I know in all things God works. I wish I'd been like that or more like that. See, here's the thing. I think those words, we know in all things God works, God put those in there to help us enjoy the journey. How many of us, and by the way, I'm not, you know, I, I had my odometer turned over again this last week, and, and I'm thinking about, wow, I'm not young as I wish I was anymore and all that. How many of us were old enough now that we would love to have back all the days we lost grieving over stuff that God was going to work out? Take a look at the verse one more time. We know in all things, God works for good. For good. See, here's where I think our guilt gets into the picture sometimes. We know things that we've done that are wrong. We know things that are, are, we're ashamed of. And we're saying to ourselves, how can God be a great God and put up with me? So maybe God is working for bad in my life. Maybe God has said, ooh, there's Mark in a vulnerable situation. I've been waiting for a moment like this. I'm just going to nuke him right now because I've got him right where I want him. Listen, man, the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. He's the one who's keeping you alive right now. If God wanted to get rid of you, he knows where to find you. See, here's the thing. God can only go one direction. God can only, this is the beautiful thing. God can only do good. That's who he is. He is a good God. If he's working, he's working for good. The question is not, see, forgive me for, for breaking a sense. I've heard this question so many times when people are going through bad times. I'm talking about God followers, and I'm guilty of this too. People say, where's God? Well, the Bible says we know where he is. We know in all things he works for good. The question is not where's God. The question is where am I? Let me say it this way. This is my biggest challenge. Maybe it will resonate with some of you. My problem in my life is not when I've got something bad and God takes it away and gives me something good. I'm, I'm fine with that. My, my issue is that God, if you're holding on to good, God has no problem taking good away in order to give you better. And if you're holding better, he has no problem taking that away from you to give you best. 
My problem with God comes when I'm holding something that's good, and I'm saying, sure, I know God's a good God. I got good right here in my hands. And all of a sudden, God comes to allow some situation in my life to take good away from me, and I don't have better yet, and I'm wondering, where is God? Well, God has gone to get better. That's where he's gone. And then when he takes better away, ooh, I really struggle with that. But all he's done, if he's taken better away from you, he's just gone to pick up best and give it to you. We know in all things, God works for good. You say, well, Mark, there are people in my life, and they're doing bad things, and they're trying to hurt me. We just finished the Thrive series the other day, and I don't want to take you to an old series, but in this, the whole series was about Joseph. Remember, and his brothers hated him, and they sold him as a slave, and, they, you know, and all the bad things that happened, God just brought him to the top, and he became the region of, uh, vice region of Egypt, and he basically saved everybody's life, and he brought his brothers who had hated him to Egypt, and he forgave them, and he restored them, and gave them houses, and took care of them. And if you were in that series, you remember that, and I think Jonathan talked about this in the message when he spoke that week. If you remember that message, his brothers... After his dad died, they said, wow, now Joseph's going to kill us all because dad's died and now he's going to get even with us. And Joseph calmed them down in chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 20. And here's what he said. Listen. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We know in all things God works for good for those who love him. That's living in room 828. Let's go to another place. If you're a God follower today and you love God, I want to encourage you to leave some things on room 828. The best person here today, whoever she is, I know she's a woman. <laughs> but even the best person here has baggage, right? Baggage is the past. We have a way of carrying it with us emotionally. We have a way of carrying it with us when it comes to expectations. (laughs) Baggage. For some of us, we we carry it with us to work, and we go to work, and we we just have stuff that's happened in our lives, things in our past that just we... we, and, And some of us have actually lost jobs because of baggage. For others of us, we we carry baggage to relationships. We've had things that haven't gone well in previous relationships, and we get into a new relationship, and we're saying, wow, you know, anything that starts to go wrong, we can say, here we go again. We carry baggage with us. And some of us, we just get baggage that it's so hard to move with anymore. Messes up our relationships, messes up our work environments, messes up friendships. Do you know the issue with baggage? The issue with baggage is somehow things from my past are going to keep me from enjoying life today. But what does Romans 8.28 says? Romans 8.28 says that in, in all things, God works for good to those who love him. Now, this is radical, but could we suggest then that even in our baggage for people who love God, God is at work, and if God is working, why am I stressing over baggage? I can't change it. <laughs> In the throes of the political season last year, there was one of those debates, you know, that they have for the primary, and when there's still like 10 or 12 candidates in each party. And I remember one candidate got carried away and waxed eloquent. He said, we're going to change history. You can do a lot of things, but you can't change history. Could I encourage you today, if you love God, just take your baggage to room 828 and say, well, I can't change the past. I... 
that's just something I can't do. But if God's going to work, I'm just going to leave it in room 828. And I'm not going to carry it to my job. I'm not going to carry it to my marriage. I'm not going to raise my kids with that kind of baggage. I'm leaving it in room 828. That's God's issue. I love him. And God's at work in my life. My baggage is in room 828. I'm not carrying it anymore. I want to encourage you to leave something else there. When we start fearing that life isn't going to work out for us, the next thing that we do is we start leaning on crutches. When life gets too painful to face and we don't think it's going to work out for us, it's easy to start drinking too much. People don't become alcoholics because they love the taste of liquor. Grape juice tastes a lot better. Diet Coke is just infinitely better. It's not like, wow, man, I I love the taste of that stuff. No, 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 no. It anesthetizes. That's why on Friday afternoon, people head for the bars. I mean, it's like, we're going to go out and have a good time. Not really so much. It's we're going to go and kill the pain for a little while of a life that isn't working. And then I'll lean on something. For some, it's drugs. It could be something you buy from a dealer. It just could be you do some doctor shopping and it's prescription drugs. For others of us, our crutches are excuses. My life is screwed up, but it's not my fault. I got a dozen excuses. Man, it's just like we have a whole catalog of excuses that we pull out and just lean on those crutches and say, well, my life is a failure and it's just going to be that way. Nothing I can do about it. Whatever it is that you and I lean on. Um, For instance, some of you guys are messed up with pornography. You're just eyeball deep in internet porn. (laughs) <laughs> and the worst part about it, you're so guilty about it, and you say, I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm not a sex pervert. How do I wind up here? You know what it is? It's a crutch. It's something to lean on because you don't think life is working. Guys, life doesn't have to work. God has to work. Amen. We know in all things God works. Hey, he knows we have weaknesses, but it's okay. The Bible says in our weaknesses, he is strong. I don't have to have crutches. I can take them to room 828 because in all things, God is working. And even if I think I'm a failure, God can make me a success. In fact, in the Bible, there's a verse that says, don't judge anybody else. God can make that person stand. One more. Because it could be that somebody could say, well, Mark, listen, I don't think God can help me because it's my fault. I, my life has broken pieces, and I did it. I don't think God can work for me. You know, if only I'd not met that person, if only I'd not gone to that party, if only I'd not started drinking, if only I hadn't tried that hit. It's my fault. Broken pieces, my life's a wreck. And yeah, I come to New Spring, but I really don't think God can do anything with me. In prayer, I'm almost afraid to pray because I think if I ever opened my heart to God, God would just say, I remember what you did last summer. Broken pieces.
If I seem overdressed today, it's for a reason. You guys know I don't wear a suit very often, but I wore this one for a reason. I hate to buy suits. For one thing, I hate cheap suits. You buy a nice suit, my goodness, you could buy a plasma television. I could watch the cowboys on that. I can't watch the cowboys on a suit. I just hate to spend the money for a good suit. One good thing that I, there's a dealer's outlet in, in my home area, Dallas-Fort Worth, that I've shopped at for years, and they like take suits and mark them way down. And, and I, I was just, about three years ago, when I found this suit, I went in there on a day when not only did they have the normal markdown, they had like this extra 50% off. And so I found this suit, and I think it's about a $700 suit, and I wound up getting it for 150 which is a lot more information than you want to know, but I, I just tell you that for a reason. The only problem was they didn't alter suits there. So I have to bring the suit back to Wichita. There's a little shop, a little, little lady had done alterations for me for years, and she was just fantastic. So I, t- I take this suit down to the, her shop. The only problem is the name is still the same on the sign, but she's not there. And there are a couple of other ladies, and frankly, it doesn't look like they know what they're doing. It looks like that maybe they got drunk and said, maybe we should open a store. I mean, just... <laughs> we don't know how to alter clothes, but... Hey, I don't know, maybe that's not fair. But I dropped my suit off, and, and they said, well, we'll mark it for you. And they were pinning it for me, and I thought, I don't think I've ever seen anyone pin a suit quite like that before. And I sw- if I swore, I would swear that I heard one of them say to the other in the back, I've read in a book, this is how it should be. Now, I didn't pay very much for this suit, but I can't replace it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a little squeamish about it. But I left my suit there because they said, come back in two weeks and I'll be ready. I went back in two weeks. And my son, Stephen, who was 12 at the time, he was, he's the guy who's playing the keyboard. He went with me and, 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 you know, he was trying to encourage me. And we got there and, and they said, we haven't even gotten started on it yet. But if you'll wait here, we'll do it for you while you wait. We'll just whip it out real fast. <laughs> if I'd been smart, right? I'm dumb. I sat there and said, okay. And so Steve and I sit there for 30 minutes. We sit there for an hour. By this time, it's time for the shop to close. Another hour goes by, and Steve and I have talked about everything that we know to talk about. And finally, I go back and say, is, how's it coming back there? Oh, it's fine, fine. A few minutes later, I said, listen, would you just show me what you've done so far? I have a sick feeling in my stomach just thinking about it. I looked at this jacket and this sleeve. It, the buttons weren't lined up. It was all gnarled up and puckered. It looked like I did it. And the hem on this sleeve was just hanging down. I said, would you just let me have my coat, my jacket, and I'll take it with me. And on the way out to the car, Stephen was trying to, you know, he said, Dad, that's just terrible. And I'm trying to encourage him, and I'm saying, oh, son, it's just, it's just clothing. It's not important. It's not big. But on the inside, I was just screaming and saying, that idiot. No, I didn't say that. that <laughs> yes, I did. That, <laughs> keep it real here. Ruined my suit. I go home, and Mary Ellen said, how did it go? I said, don't even ask. You don't want to know. And I finally told her what happened. I showed her, and this side was all gnarled up, and this sleeve was hanging down. It was just wretched. And I said, it's just ruined. It just, I just need to throw it in the trash. It's, it's finished. It's no good. And thankfully, I married a woman with great wisdom. Everyone else tried to calm me down. She said, no, listen, Mark. She said, just call Dillard's. Ask them who does their tailoring. 
and take your suit to them. And I said, no, 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 no. Number one, they could not do anything with this mess. It was just, I cannot tell you how mangled it was. I said, they cannot do anything with this. And then on top of that, I would be so embarrassed to carry this garment in because they're going to ask me, how did you let it get this way? But anyway, her wisdom prevailed, and about two days later, I took this jacket, and I started driving, and all the way down the road, I was rehearsing to myself the story that I was going to try to tell about how I let it get this way. Now, I tend to be a pretty energetic, aggressive kind of person. I mean, if I walk into a store, I mean, I walk right in and say, here's what my issue is. But now I've got this awful-looking jacket, and I'm carrying it, and it's mangled, and I'm embarrassed, and I don't know what to say. And so when I walk in, I'm just like kind of creeping around the wall here holding this jacket, you know? Just, and, and so the guy says, well, sir, what's going on? And I, I tried to explain it, and it was like, I, you ever try to tell a whole story with one sentence? It's like all the sentences rush out, and words come out that don't even go together. But by this time, I'm holding up the jacket sleeves, and he could see what happened. And he said something to me that I love. And it's why I wore the suit today. He said, sir, bring it to us. It's what we do. And some of you that are so concerned that God is out to get you, Because in your past, you have broken pieces. And with your life, you're scared to approach God. And you stammer and stutter and think that God won't have anything to do with you. When all the time, according to Romans 8, 28, what God is saying is, bring it to me. It's what I do. It's what I do. And we know, in all things, God works for good to those who love him. If you love him, you're living in room 828. It's a great place to live. Father, thank you for who you are, that you would love us enough to make such a promise and that you are faithful to carry it out in our lives. We testify before you that we're weak so many times, and we're embarrassed that we're so weak as not to trust you, but we at the same moment are overcome with a sense of gratitude. For so many of us, Lord, we can look back in our lives and testify that it was true, that in all things you were at work, and even when we thought it was bad, that you turned it for good, and when you took away good, it was just to give better, and when you took away better, it was just to bring best. For you are good, and we give testimony in this place that you are good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's pray for another minute, please. The ultimate example of God working in all things is the worst thing that ever happened in our world was two people disobeyed God and brought sin into the world, and they were our first parents. And when sin came into the world... You and I were in a really rough spot because we were born with sin hanging around us and then we've added to it. But the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In all things, even in the worst thing, God works. And when Jesus died on the cross, that was God's way of building a bridge to you and me. 
In effect, what happened was Jesus paid for our sin so that God could give us his perfection. And here's how to have it. You just receive a gift. You don't join a church, give money, do good things, try to live a better life. (laughs) None of that. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2 says, it is by grace. That word grace means gift. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God wants to give you eternal life, forgiveness. God wants to give you a relationship with him. And all that has to happen is you have to open your heart and receive Jesus. doesn't mean you'll understand everything about him, but it just means that you're willing to invite him in. And if you are willing to receive Jesus today, I want to pray a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but these are words that call out to Jesus, and I'll pray them slowly so that you can savor each word. If you mean them, God will hear your prayer. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I've got broken pieces. But I believe you died to pay for my sin. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for keeping your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Jesus, I have a gift for you. When you came in, you got a worship folder. Part of it is a detachable card. If you just pray with me to receive Jesus, would you take your card? Just check the box by this little fat packet here. I've got a gift packet. It's just DVDs and great stuff to help you follow Jesus. It will not cost you anything. It's totally free. If you just prayed to receive Jesus, please put your name and address on there and check that box. If you drop it in the offering bags or in the boxes in the back, I'll mail it to you. If you don't like to wait, I know we're crowded this morning. If you don't like to wait, you don't have to. I'm going to point right through those middle doors. There's two zones called Guest Services and New Spring Store. All you got to do is bring your card back. They won't stalk you or ask you any hard questions. All you got to do is just say, I pray with Mark. Give them this, they'll give you this. You can take it with you today. I'm glad you're here. Hey, just a couple more things real quick. Uh, those of you from First Impressions who are going to receive the offering, you can come ahead. We'll receive the offering. There are envelopes in the back of the pew. By the way, if you are a guest at New Spring, please don't feel any pressure to participate in the offering. The offering's for New Springers who are all about what God is doing here. And by the way, if we receive the offering too quickly, in fact, I get every once in a while people will visit New Spring and laugh and say, you guys don't emphasize the offering very much. That's just because we have so many other pieces of good news um, to talk about. But if, if, if we're too fast with the offering, the boxes are in the back. Let me just talk about a couple things. First Wednesday is this week. If you've never been to First Wednesday, it's a worship experience. I teach for a few moments, and we just have a great time. We do that every First Wednesday. But now, after First Wednesday, anybody who would like to get connected in a connection group and you haven't been in one yet, or if you just want to like put your toes in the water and see what it's like, we have sort of a cool connection group meet-and-greet experience after this Wednesday service. I want to encourage you to be part of that. You can check it out online, newspring.org. And uh, uh, you can do it with connect, the Connection Group site, or um, we'll just, just check out Connection Groups and you can sign up for that. W- by the way, one more time, one of the Clayhouse Group, great. I just really enjoyed their worship leadership today. Phenomenal. <laughs> Two weekends from right now, we start the series that we've been working on for a long time. It's called Love Songs, and, and it's all about... The truth about love, sex, relationships, and marriage in the songs that we know. We're going to have a phenomenally good time. And I really believe God has given me some teaching on dating, sex, marriage, and relationships. It's going to be transforming. So can't get, I mean, we've been working on this for months. We get cranked up and started. And by the way, if you know anybody else who's like wrestling with these kinds of issues and questions and just would like to know how to make life work with relationships and dating and sex, 
you might want to have them be part of one of these services that begin um, two weeks from this weekend when we start Love Songs. God bless and thank you for being here.